0: The room, not just in the words, not just, uh, that, but also in our hearts, in our minds, uh, in our innermost self, Lord God, I pray that you would be present, that you would make yourself known to us, that we would, that we would draw into, into you, Lord. I pray that I would, uh, share the gospel this morning, that I would be faithful to the text, that, that my worries and my, my distractions and my, uh, just me, that I would get out of the way and that it would be you, Lord, that is that is uh, in the message this morning. I pray for the folks who are here, that are here in the Word, that you would touch their hearts, that you would help them to hear the Gospel, that you would help them to hear from you uh, today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, the father of modern psychology, Sigmund Freud, who was kind of nuts, um, and weird and gross and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he, oh, doggone it! Stupid timer. There it goes. Um, he uh, he said of the psyche of the mind that um, it is like an iceberg. I got my iceberg up here. Possibly. There it goes. Uh, it's like an iceberg. You see a small, small portion at the top. And like 70% of it or more is underwater. You just don't see the majority of what is going on with people. When I worked at the home, we used to hear this all the time. When you're dealing with a client and they're being angry or they're being volatile or violent or whatever, what you're seeing is that percentage at the top. And in reality, the stuff that has made them into who they are, the things that are inside them, their thoughts, their feelings, all of that other stuff is under the surface. And you don't know what it is, but that's the stuff that drives the stuff on top. Because the stuff on top doesn't go anywhere without the stuff on the bottom, right? Um, the stuff under the surface, the stuff inside of the ocean is really... That's the part that sunk the Titanic, right? Like, that's the, that's the part that, that drowned Leonardo DiCaprio and all that. Like, like, or Jack, or I don't know, uh, that forced that awful song on us. Um, for believers, there is some important truth to what Freud said, not because we're going to talk about psychology today, but rather because we're going to talk about who you are and what you are in Christ. We're, we're continuing in prayer. We're continuing to talk about our prayer lives and the things that are, are between us and God, how we engage with him, how we talk with him, um, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of the iceberg today. Everybody with me? Um, Specifically, we're going to talk about it from the perspective of how our prayer lives and our spiritual lives, the gaping majority of it should be behind the scenes. It should be in a place where nobody can see it. Everybody got me? Like you following? Like like the tiny percentage that's at the top, which is how you treat other people, how you show up at work every day the attitude and heart with which you treat others, the the focus you have in relation to how you give or whatever, like those things, those visible components are a very small part of what it means to follow Jesus. A very small part. The bigger piece, the important part, is underneath, right? And it's the difference between being the kind of believer who is like an iceberg, who is like huge and immovable, And the kind of believer is a little more like the Titanic, where the majority of the stuff is happening above the water, right? When the Titanic meets the iceberg, it doesn't survive because there's nothing underneath, right? Right? Like, at the end of the day, it doesn't have enough bulk, it doesn't have enough weight, it doesn't have enough strength, because there's nothing under the surface. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, and so if you want to grab the Bible from the pew, you can follow along, not putting the verses on the screen anymore for the time being, unless I hear that folks want otherwise. title of the sermon today is Pray Like Nobody Is Watching. And, of course, this is from a misattributed quote, um, we as believers are supposed to forget Everything else. We forget us. We forget the opinions of others. We forget all of that stuff. And we look at what does God think of me? And because of that, and because of the nature of who we are, a lot of stuff has to happen in secret. So um, a little background here. Matthew's gospel is uh, so Matthew and John are the two most Jewish gospels right? Like overtly Jewish. They're all kind of Jewish, but Matthew and John are the two most overtly Jewish. And Matthew's gospel is directly aimed at sort of Jews in Israel. These are like the homeland Jews and the temple crowd Jews, and they have a certain philosophy of life. And that's going to play into this conversation. It's going to play in in a big way. Um, And we'll get to that in a moment. this is from the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest collection of Jesus' teachings. And it is very easy to take little bits and pieces of the Sermon on the Mount and pull them out of context and display them. This is a text that occurs very much in a specific context. And I'm not going to go through all of the chapter 6, but I am going to touch on some of this the, because there's some recurring phrases. And we're gonna, I'm going to explain them as we go. All right. Um, But there's some recurring phrases and there's some recurring structure. And if you read this passage by itself, it loses a whole lot of meaning because it's designed to be attached to everything else. It's a little like if you have uh, a combine and you only have the scythes, you don't have a whole lot. Got it? Or if you don't have the big threshing machine in the back, you just have a slather. Um, If you just take this text alone, you lose the muscle to it. All right, because it seems simple. So um, the first little bit I'm going to go through these really quick. So right before the text we're looking at today um, is this little bit about don't do your righteous acts in public. Don't create a big fanfare. Don't like look at how awesome I am giving money away, which, you know, the church is not always very good at. Like we like people to know we're doing stuff. And so we publicize it and we get T-shirts and everything else. But that's like like he's saying, look, don't do that. Do things in secret, so the Heavenly Father, who sees what's done is in secret, will reward you. Um, then is our text, and then like there's a prayer guide, which is the Lord's Prayer. And then there's this thing about fasting, which is not eating in a ritualistic way. And he again says, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't look miserable. Look calm. Look like relaxed. Look okay, because if people are feeling sorry for you, and they're like, look at how awesome and holy this guy is. You're getting your reward right there. Instead, do it in secret where your heavenly father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Um, we have a bit about treasures in heaven. Store up on, store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. And we'll explain because that's, that's important. We're going to come to it. And then this last bit is about worrying. You know, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the, the birds. None of them work. None of them show up to work. God takes care of them. Aren't you more important than that, right? Like, I'm sure most of you guys have seen Lilies of the Valley, right? Almost unkillable, right? I mean, that's what I've been told, almost unkillable. Um, and they're kind of pretty, um, but they don't really put a lot of effort in. All they do is sort of be weeds and annoying. Um, and as he says, don't worry. He, and he closes it out with this important line. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So don't worry about anything else. Worry about the kingdom of God. And that is the big idea. Um, so we're going to jump into chapter 6. And if you guys want to follow along with me, we're not going to... Uh, I'm going to go back a little bit so you get a couple of verses from the preceding. And it'll help. So trust me here. Alright. Uh So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do In the synagogue and on the street to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. And here's our verse. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, Real quick, Uh, I'm going to pick this apart as we go, so we're going to be, here's my slide if you want to kind of see the ideas here, Uh, pray, whenever you pray, there's a couple of things here. Some of it is just about praying, because we don't have like set times to pray, though some of us probably do, like some of you guys go to bed at night and you say, now I lay me down to sleep, and if I should, I pray the Lord my So we all know that, and everybody did it, right? Or when you are about to say a meal, uh, you know, there are these set prayers that we do. And this is a little more probably in reference to that, because the Jews would have, like, separate times during the day that they had specific prayers they had to say. And so you would get up in the morning, the first prayer you would say would be the Shema, which is, uh, the Lord our God is one, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, you shall have no other gods before him, and so forth. Um, but then throughout the day, they had different prayers they would say. Um, and actually, this still exists amongst uh, like sort of the Orthodox Jews. When I was on a plane, I was over the uh, Atlantic Ocean, and like uh, I was going to Israel, and the plane was full of Hasidic Jews, like really Orthodox, conservative Jewish people, with the big hats and the beards and everything else. And I remember waking up as the sun was coming up. I didn't know the sun was coming up, because my window was closed, because I was trying to sleep. And the people around me, including the guy in the seat next to me, were like... Like, the guy next to me was just sitting, but there were people walking up and down the aisle. There were people in the galley laying on the floor praying. There were, like, the guy next to me had, like, pulled out this kit, and he was putting on, like, his prayer shawl and, like, this leather strap on his, all of this stuff. And they, because the rule is when the sun comes up, you say these prayers, and that's it. And so the prayer here, so whenever you pray, part of what he's talking about here very specifically is those prayers. It is 8.05 p.m., you pray now. But, well some people would do, the people who you must not be like, they would plan their day around it. So I remember when I was in high school, there was a girl I kind of liked, never talked to her, but I knew her schedule. And you know what I did? I I would accidentally run into her throughout the day, right? Never talked to her but I would accidentally run into her. Why? Because if she saw me enough, which is clear teenagers don't think carefully because if she saw me enough, she would know what I look like and that would not help my cause. But if she saw me enough, I might have a conversation and something might happen. Right? And so these guys, they would plan their day around, Oh, it's time to pray. What am I going to do? Well, actually I'll jump ahead here real quick. We'll read a little more of the verse so we can explain. Um, You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Now, um, the on the street corners in this world would be like in the marketplace. And it's literally translated that, but it would be the rough equivalent of, you know, Oh, I'm wandering around. I'm in front of the grocery store and like I'm right by the Mint and I'm right in the middle of the road. Oh, it's time to pray. And I would suddenly announce my prayers very loudly so everyone could hear. Because these guys were planning their day around being seen praying, right? And mind you, this is a huge thing. Like, he's talking about the Pharisees, but he doesn't say Pharisees. And we'll get onto that later, probably. Um, the Pharisees would wear these, like, elaborate outfits so everybody knew they were the most religious people. Um, during the 70s, everybody had huge collars, right? Right. Um, I, I'm sure some of you guys wore them, Anne? No, no, you're a woman. Women didn't wear them. It was probably Larry had collars on a windy Montana day he would fly to work. Uh... And and those big collars, like you would wear bigger and bigger, more ostentatious collars, or, or what have you. These guys were wearing like super ostentatious religious clothing. They had to have fringes on their clothes and little tassels on the corners. And they would have long fringes that were ridiculous. And they had to have like little boxes on their heads sometimes that had the Torah scroll in it. And they made sure that they were carrying around a... You know, not the little box that shows up in your mailbox, but the one that requires the key for the wall over there. You know what I'm talking about? Like the huge box, because everybody needs to know who I am. And they were doing all of this stuff so people would see them. Why? Because the more you do, the bigger it is, the more people know that guy's holy and awesome. Right? And that's what they were concerned about. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. So he's like, hey, don't do it on street corners because these guys were planning to be on street corners so everybody would know, so everybody would see, so everybody would be aware and then they would pray loudly or they would do it in the synagogue where they would stand up and attract everyone's attention by their elaborate prayer and they would pray for like forever in loud voices so everybody knew they were holy. And we don't exactly have this today, but I remember at one church I was at, uh, we had a a lady who left our church to go to another one. And her argument was, and she wrote us a letter, and she said, like, she was a singer. She would sing on Sunday morning. She had a beautiful voice. She was a very pretty woman. And, like, she said, well, I went to this other church, and it was huge, and this woman, I watched her sing, and she did her solo, and everybody was looking at her, and it was so wonderful for her, and I want that. Who's she worshiping? Herself. She wants people to see. She wants people to know. And it is very easy to fall into this trap. Um, Whenever, all right, don't hear me doing this, okay? Like, don't read into this. During COVID, there were groups of people who would gather in public places, in large crowds, to pray loudly in public. You know why? So they could get arrested on camera. Guess why they're praying? To get arrested on camera. It is a very easy thing to fall into this trap, into the trap of I am holier than thou and I will be holy in public. Um, and so that's what these guys are doing. And Jesus is saying, don't plan your day around showing up in a public square. There's a word he uses in there, hypocrite. And I really want to just touch on this briefly. We all know the word hypocrite and we all probably use it sometimes, right? I should have a t-shirt, honestly, that says it so that people can like just point instead of having to say it over and over again. Um hypocrite in the original Greek, right? So first off, Jesus spoke Aramaic. It is likely, well, it is the case, Aramaic had no word of the equivalent, okay? And Jesus would often, and the apostles would often quote the Greek New Testament, and this is probably a little hint that Jesus would sometimes break into Greek, which everybody spoke. Hypocrite um, literally translated means one who gives answer from a stage, uh it is a word that meant actor and we all love actors right I, <laughs> another covid thing we all remember like like remember when uh, all the actors did like imagine all the people on on zoom to say that we are suffering with you i remember like an Arnold schwarzenegger's like feeding his baby horse at the dining room table and it's like oh he's just like me no he's not you're, you're singing on a yacht. You're acting. This isn't real. You're not suffering. Like, it's, it's weird and fake. Um, that is what this is like. That's what it gained the meaning of. But originally, it referred to actors. Jews were not allowed to go to the theater. They were not allowed to go to the theater because they considered, rabbis considered uh, acting and theater to be a sinful waste of time, but more so that grew out of the fact that if a Roman arrested you as a Jewish person, you were going to be executed, they would have plays where people were killed in the play, and man, realism before special effects is a big commitment, and so they would bring Jewish people in who are going to be executed, and they would kill them on stage as a part of productions. And so weirdly enough, people didn't want to go to that stuff, and so there wasn't even a word for actor in ancient Hebrew or in ancient uh, Aramaic, the language that they spoke. Um, this borrow word, hypocrite, means somebody who acts one way and is something else, or somebody who looks one way outside, uh, but looks a different way inside. And so, why did I give you all of that background information? First off, I found it fascinating. But second off, you need to understand, this is an insult. It is not a little insult. He is comparing the Pharisees... To the guys who murder their neighbors on stage for entertainment. Got it? It's vicious. Matthew uses the word hypocrite 13 times. It is used three other times in the New Testament. Because the Jews did not like these guys. Jesus is making it clear, I do not, you know, this is a problem. And he's talking not about the average person. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the church folk, the religious elite. And so when he says, listen, these guys are hypocrites, he's saying these are people who are killing you spiritually because they care about themselves. Because when you look at those people, it is a natural thing to think, Man, I wish I was a little more like them so people would respect me. We might call them hypocrites, but deep down, if I could have a yacht where I sang, imagine all the people during the pandemic, you bet your, <laughs> you bet your, like, bottom dollar, I probably would have done it. I'd love to have a yacht. I'd love to, you know, be famous and rich and all that. Maybe not. I don't know. They don't seem all that happy. But, uh, so he goes on. Sorry. Big distraction. This is why I never finish in short order. Truly, I tell you, excuse me, uh, on the street corners to be seen by people. That's the big, important, operative thing there. To be seen by people. To be seen by people. It's what's said in the previous one. They trumpets and fanfare to be seen by people. When we go to the fasting, it is they make themselves look sad and miserable while they're fasting, so people can see them. The primary objective in those things is other people. Period. That is it. That's what they're after. That's what they want. That's what they're doing. Um, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. What reward did they receive? Acclaim, esteem, high opinion of others. But when you pray, by the way, when you pray, this is a command. It is phrased like a command, meaning You pray. (laughs) Got it? Sometimes my kids get confused about commands versus suggestions or instructions. This is a command. Go into your private room. Private room sometimes is translated as closet in weird places. The idea here is, like, houses were pretty open, and, like, you didn't have a bedroom. You had some rooms that were away from where you could see from the street or what have you. He is saying, go into a place where nobody is going to see you. Why? Because nobody needs to see you. Because if you're in a place where people can see you, it builds your esteem. Or is it temptation? Or a distraction? Um, it is all potentially these things. Even if it's not your intent, don't. Got it? Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now... There's a variation there that's interesting, and it's really easy to miss because it's a phrase variation. In the beginning, when you do your giving, your father who sees in secret. When you fast, your father who sees in secret. In this one, it is go to pray and your father who is in secret, meaning that God will meet you there. He doesn't just see it. He meets you there. We love, there's this great passage. And how many, y'all know this one, right? Like, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I will. Wow, we don't know it. Be with you also. And we always quote that. Like, hey, we're going to worship. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, you know, I'll be with you also. It's actually a passage about kicking people out of church, excommunicating. If there are two people that agree within the leadership of a church to kick someone out, you can kick them out. It's not about worship at all, at all. In reality, this is the truth. Wherever you meet your heavenly father in secret, he's there. He's waiting. He's hanging out. He's ready for you. And actually, I think there's something kind of neat in this, and it's easy to miss. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, they fall. They realize, oh, man, we're not wearing clothes because suddenly they're ashamed of themselves. They make clothes. They go hide when they hear God come. And God says to them, hey, wait a minute. Where are you guys? Like, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And like, they come out, oh, well, you know, we were hiding because we were afraid, uh, because we were naked. And he's like, wait a minute. Like, like, before Adam says that, though, he says, listen, I came to see you, and you weren't there. Where were you? Because God's intent was to go hang out with Adam. If you go back to the original purpose we have as created people, is to be in God's presence and to know him. It's to walk with him. It's to have conversations with him. It's to see him face to face. And Adam, because of sin, that's broken. Because of sin, it's still broken. If I pray in public in a way that is all about how awesome is Eric, it's even more broken because I'm not meeting God. If I worship and my worship is all about how great my voice is, everybody laughs. Um then I am, you know, like, oh, I have such a great voice. I'm operatic and everything else. Like, I'm not meeting God. I'm meeting my own desires. My objective is met. I am getting what I'm after. And so part of what Jesus is saying here, like, to summarize, he's saying, listen, when you pray, don't do it for other people. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about anything else. Worry about the Father meet god in your prayer and in every aspect of your life that is your objective well wait a minute eric that's a big jump from don't pray in public well sort of but it's also don't give in ways that draw attention to yourselves it is also don't fast in ways that make people look at you it is also don't worry about what happens seek first the kingdom of god meaning Search after God's influence and authority in your life in such a huge and powerful way that it is number one with a bullet. Um, That is the thing you chase after. Um, In context, this carries a whole lot more weight. Prayer, ultimately, what determines its efficacy, what determines how effective or real it is, is... What we're looking for, and what we're relying on in the process. Um, I'm not going to read the full text today. Uh, you can write this down. Uh, Matthew 23 has this is a series of woe statements. If you want to hear like the biggest God in your face like moment, it's Jesus talking directly to the Pharisees and saying, "Woe to you!" Because woe is a um, golly, what is that phrase? It is a prophetic statement. Woe means God is ticked. And you're in trouble, not little trouble, big trouble, right? Not in little China either, like in your life. Um, And so like he says, listen, woe unto you Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he says, listen, you guys love to wear long fringes and huge boxes on your forehead and elaborate clothes, and you love to take the best seats at banquets. And to be in the prominent position, they would be the front row Baptists, right? Everybody can see how holy I am because I'm in the front row. Fortunately, we're all humble and nobody sits in the front row. Uh, (laughs) Really? (laughs) Thanks, honey. Um, Mouth is getting dry. Um, And so he says, listen, you guys... All you worry about is how you're seen by others. All you worry about is what everybody thinks of you. How everybody esteems you. Why? Because the most important thing to them is everybody else. It's not God. It's not God at all. It's how other people see them because they realize in this world how other people see you influences like your life in every way possible. There's a reason famous people... You know, don't like to have paparazzi picture taken where they look crappy, right? Because they want people to esteem them and think they're perfect. Um, these guys want to look perfect. And they want everybody to know they look perfect. And he goes on a little later in 23. He says, you're like, uh, you clean the outside of a cup. I have several coffee cups downstairs that if you look inside them, they are disgusting. Right? Because as you drink out of a coffee cup, it begins to accumulate a certain film that makes the coffee taste better. And if you wash that cup and you wash out the inside, you ruin it. And so I have several coffee cups that are my cups that are dirty outside, but are inside, but the outside is immaculate. He says, listen, you guys clean the outside of your cups and your plates so that like everybody can see how clean they are, but inside they're disgusting. He says, you Pharisees, outside you look beautiful, inside you're disgusting. And then he says, clean the inside of the cup and the outside will take care of itself. What does that mean? That means, that means iceberg stuff. It means the inside of who you are in relation to God will determine what's above the water. If everything is above the water and there's nothing underneath, you're like a whitewashed tomb, which is the next woe, looking beautiful on the outside, but dead and full of decay and bones. If I live my life with nothing under the surface spiritually, nothing between me and God, nothing in my prayer life, nothing in my, in my pursuit of God, I, I'm more like the Titanic. There's nothing underneath. We as believers should be immovable. Immovable. Because the rock of Jesus is under us. Right? What you see is Jesus coming out of me. If I serve well, if I preach well, if I pray well, and you see those things, understand you are not seeing Eric. Eric is not particularly clever. Eric is not particularly concise or eloquent. Eric is a person who who happens to stand near Jesus sometimes, and so, a little like Balaam's donkey, I managed to say the right thing once. Got it? The holiest people you know, what you're seeing, the best, most Christ-like people you know, what you're seeing is the the above-the-surface stuff, but that stuff wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the under. Got it? And so when you pray, do it with... One desire, and that is God. Because the whole underneath is about you and Jesus. When you pray, when you go and you spend time in prayer, chase Him. Pursue Him. Be in His presence. Um, here again, like at the end of this, this passage is like sort of the summary line there. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, the kingdom of God means to live Within God's influence on your life, where you are in God's kingdom, you are present. It is a little like going to, you know, a concert. You're inside or you're outside. Try to be inside as best you can and try to be as close to the stage as you possibly can be. Got it? Because if you're outside, you know, the best you can do is fake it. That's it. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. The word righteousness means to be in right relationship with God legally. We're going to back this up a little bit and explain. It's not just legal, it's everything. To be in right relationship with God in terms of my sin and my legal obligation and what I owe for my sin is not the whole picture. It is a small portion of the picture. Um, it means to be in relationship with God. It is He loves me. I love him. We hang out together. He meets me in the garden, and I'm there. I'm like, hey, you're here. Jesus like, let's go hang out. Um, prayer should be this. It should be pursuit of relationship. Don't point. Don't raise your hands. But I'm willing to bet that those of you who are married sometimes get frustrated. I hear a lot of husbands say this, okay? Not any husband in particular. Nobody in this room, because you all are perfect. Um But I hear husbands often say, it frustrates the heck out of me that my wife and I sit in bed and I try to have a conversation with her and she is staring at her phone. I'll tell you, teenagers, how much fun is it to raise a teenager where you have a conversation with them and what are they doing? I, My wife, it actually drives, I'm going to own this, like my wife, it drives her nuts because I'll be reading something or I'll be surfing the internet or looking at Twitter and she'll talk to me and I'll be looking. I won't be looking at her, so it's not me and Jess, it is me, Jess, and everybody on Twitter. To be righteous in relation to my wife, it has to be me and Jess. I have to look her in the eye and listen to her talk and have my parts to say too. She has to listen and not, like, not tune me out because I've talked too much. To be in relationship with God, is a little like this version of marriage. Why? Why do I use that as an example? Because marriage is an outward display of what it means to be in relationship with God as individuals. It is an analogy that God has built into our world so we can look at it and see it and remember it. I'm in relationship with God. We have face-to-face conversations. We talk to one another. I meet him alone, and I have my conversations where he hears my heart, and he hears everything about me, and I tell him I love him, and I tell him why I love him. Um, it's kind of crazy. When you are dating, that's one of those funny things about marriage and dating, is when men first meet women, they spend all kinds of time having conversations. You know? Like they get all their talking out in the beginning and then they never talk again after they say, I do. Um, They talk on the phone. They talk all night. They do all of this stuff. Why? Because they care about the other person. They want to know them. They want to be known. They want to be close. This is what God desires of us. To be in right relationship. Um, why does that matter? Well, if I desire God more than anything else, uh, Second Chronicles has a great line, and it is, I memorized this when I was in high school, and I still remember it, and I still think about it regularly. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might fully support, actually strongly support, is what the ESV says, Those whose hearts are completely his. What does that mean? That means if I go to God in prayer, if I'm in his presence, I'm talking to him. My heart belongs to him. I see him only. Put the phone up. I'm having the conversation. My heart is his. He is looking for that. Why? Because God created us to have relationship with us, to know us, for us to love him and glorify him and for him to love us. It is amazing. You see the sunrise over the Bear Paw Mountains. You should hit the brakes and stop and realize God painted this picture for me. That's it. The whole creation is for you to enjoy and for you to enjoy in the context of your relationship with God. And so every one of them is you, for you. That's kind of cool. Um, James, in chapter 4, actually sort of goes in another direction. He says, listen, when you pray, oftentimes God doesn't answer. Why? Because you ask wrongly, with selfish, fleshly motives. That's in context of... James talking to the church where everybody's fighting with each other, everybody's selfish, everybody's bitter, everybody's mean and angry and everything else, and they're all fighting each other, and then they're like, he's like, listen, God doesn't listen to you when you pray, because first off, you either don't pray, or when you do, you ask for stuff that's all about you. It's weird, whenever I say, hey honey, I've been looking at this new hobby, her first answer is, no! It's not even like elaborate or concise or pretty. It's just no. Why? Because she knows that I'm going to jump from hobby to hobby and interest to interest. And I'm not bringing it up because it's good for our marriage or our relationship. It is, hey, this thing caught my eye. Something shiny. I want to go do this. If I talk to God and my heart is not about him and I'm not trying to match his heart and I'm not trying to be Jesus in relation to him, then he knows I'm asking for me. If I ask, Lord Give me a bigger pastoral hot tub. i got to come up with a new one. I... <laughs> if I say, Lord, give me a bigger pastoral hot tub, like that's not, a, that's not a prayer, that's a gimme. God is not a vending machine. If you treat your spouse, if you treat your friends as a vending machine, you will not have either anytime soon. If you go to God in prayer and your prayer is about you, Which is what is happening in this text, right? Like, pray in public where everybody can see you. Why? Because I want people to see me. I don't care what God thinks. I want people to, I care what people think. In those moments, God ain't listening. If I pray and I say, God, I desire you, this is what I think I should have. Or God, if uh, Jesus does this in Gethsemane, he says, if it is your will, I want this. But let your will be done, not mine. Right? This is the idea. And this is like, I know it's, it's not a stretch, actually. It's just embedded in the chapter. When we pray, we go to God. We spend time with him alone. I am with God. It is me and God. And that is it. And God meets me in secret. And he knows the secret of my heart. He knows who I am. There's a great line in there. Um, where? Uh, actually, I got I actually have to reach it. Read it. Um, where he's talking about like the birds of the air and the lily of the valley, not specifically those weeds. Um, I'm going to find it. Oh, but store up for verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Um, watch this. If you go and read about heaven, what are the streets paved with? Gold. What do they pave the streets with here? Nothing. (laughs) Gravel, right? Gravel, dirt. Why do we pave the roads in Montana with dirt and gravel? Because there's a lot of it and it's cheap, right? There is no value to it. Guess why the streets of heaven are paved with gold? Because it's got no value anymore. What is the treasure of heaven? I'm going to tell you, like people have lived their lives, oh, if I'm good, I'll just get a great mansion and a nice car and everything else. There are jokes about it and, and all this other stuff. The reality is that the treasure of heaven is God himself. It is to be in intimate closeness with God. It is to be in His presence. It is to know Him. It is to appreciate Him. It is to be close with Him. That is the treasure of heaven. It is not jewels. It is not anything else. It is me and God. I always find it funny when you see in TV shows where women are all about the wedding ring and how big of a jewel it is and everything else. They're like, I need a giant rock. Um, because if the ring is more valuable to you than your husband's heart and a commitment for the rest of your life, you're missing something important. That's it. If the treasure in heaven is not God himself, if it is not standing in the presence of Jesus and looking at the one who died being punished for your sins, who created the whole world, like, and put you in it so that you could be close to him and he could be close to you and so that you could, like, see and know and appreciate, like, if that is not the point, heaven is pointless. When you pray, chase Jesus. When you pray, be in His presence. Pursue Him. Who's going to see that? No one. It's all in secret. All of it. What people will see is the natural outflow of a life lived like that. That's it. A good and godly person always begins inside. If there's nothing underneath... It's just a show. It's not real. It's a mirage. So what do we depend on? I'm going to summarize this part. Um, This is the short version. Uh, We've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks. We depend on God, and that's what makes prayer powerful. That's it. That's it. That's why when Jesus prays, he says, you know, go to God and say, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. Right? When... My children were small and they got scared. Daddy, I'm scared, right? Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I hurt myself. Daddy, I'm lonely. Daddy, I love you. When Jesus talks about becoming like a small child, this is the idea. We need to depend on God the way way our children depend on us. The way you depended on your mommy and daddy once upon a time. And if your mom and dad were awful, understand the way it was supposed to be. Because even as a little kid, you know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The ideal version of us and God, of parent and child, like the ideal version of parent and child is what God offers us Abba, Father, Daddy, God. It, there are other things in this. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that the stuff around us, this is this great line, like when, when Deuteronomy, I know I've beaten it to death. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you don't put that right next to consider the lilies of the valley and the birds of the air, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. What's he saying? He's saying you don't live on, you don't live on the product of your work. You live on Jesus. That's it. Seek him first and everything else will be taken care of. He will take care of you. The purpose, the intent of prayer is God's presence. There's intimacy with the Father. And so, like, what do we do with this? I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Look at yourself and ask, what am I looking for when I pray? Am I looking for a way out of the trap? Am I looking for a way to make things more comfortable or less unpleasant or am I looking for Christ? Am I looking for intimacy with Jesus to know my Lord who died for my sins to know Him more? He'll increase and I'll decrease. If that's not the goal, Ask yourself, how do you get there? Because you can't serve two masters. It can't be money and God. It can't be esteem and God. It can't be your comfort and God. It cannot be any of that. It's got to be God. That's it. This is, by the way, there's a line in there where it says, hey, forgive other people. If you forgive other people, God, your heavenly Father will forgive him. It's like two verses later. And it just suddenly occurred to me, that if I'm more focused on my revenge and my anger than I am on being close to Jesus, then I can't serve both those masters. Right? Can't do it. I have to forgive. Why? Because God forgave me and I'm trying to be like Jesus. So ask yourself, is your prayer life, is it an iceberg? Is the amount of prayer you're doing all on the surface? Is it rote? Is it repetition? Is it a box you check every day? Or is it an ongoing conversation with God the way that we would have an ongoing conversation with the sweetie that we met at high school and actually managed to talk to? And actually, uh, we didn't text message back then, but, you know, send smoke signals to or whatever. Like, actually, those notes with the cool folding is like an art that's been lost because of phones. Like, those notes that we traded, is it that? Are you pursuing God as your first intimate love and there is an iceberg underneath, a giant stone rock thing that if anything gets in the way, it ain't going to survive it any more than the Titanic does, right? Seeking to know God and be close to Him, it needs to be the driver of our prayer lives. And that becomes the driver of our whole lives. It needs to be everything under the surface. And it becomes the determiner of the top. It needs to be like breathing. It is weird how important breathing is when you don't get to do it. Right? When you go for a run and you realize I haven't run in years and now I don't have enough air, breathing is everything. It's a lot more important than looking cool. It is. Is prayer like breathing in your life. Is it more important you to be close to God, to be faithful to God, to be intimate and close to God than anything else? Or are you laying in bed staring at your phone while he's waiting to meet you in secret? What are you doing, guys? We as a church, if we're going to do anything good in Big Sandy, if we're going to do anything good in your lives, if we're going to do anything good in the world around us, if we are going It's not even do anything good, because I don't care if we do anything good. I want to be close to Jesus, and I want to be a church of people that are close to Jesus, right? If you are going to be like Christ, men, if you are going to be a man after God's own heart, women, if you are going to be a princess, a a queen in eternity, his child, this is it. It is be in his presence. And my challenge for you today, my challenge for you, honestly, for the next few months, because all we're going to talk about is prayer for the next few months. That is it. Praying about it, this is what I think we're supposed to do. That's it. Pray. Ask yourself, what does my iceberg look like? Am I, you know, I loved Pizza Hut when I would go to Pizza Hut as a kid because they had that weird ice. It was like a little tiny pebble. Is that you? Is it? Or are you? you (laughs) I worked for a vending machine guy for a little while, and it was like in the Michigan. He lived in Michigan, and so I would drive and fill vending machines in Michigan, which, you know, he was really hard up for help. Uh, But the soda kept freezing because it was so cold. Are you that? I mean, like, is your whole spiritual life frozen and dead and there's no life in it? Nothing above the surface? Nothing below the surface? You're, You're a stone. Like, who are you? What is going on in you? Every time you make a decision, every time you feel overwhelmed with anger or depression or desire to get a new toy or whatever, is prayer the first place you go so you can say, God, tell me who I am. Tell me what you want. Give it to me if it's your will. Take it away if it ain't. Who are you? Are you accumulating treasure in eternity daily because you know Jesus more? I've been married 25 years The greatest treasure in this world I have received is a product of traveling with my wife and having conversations with my wife and holding hands with her and holding her when she cries and all of that stuff. 25 years. I know people who have been married 50 years that don't do that. Same is true of you and Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for 30 years and there ain't nothing under the surface, if you're pizza hot ice and not an iceberg, back up and ask yourself, how'd this happen? How do I get there? Pursue Christ above all else. First, last, everything in the middle. You know, go to work and thank God that you get to go to work. Pray about aspects of work, everything. Let's pray and we'll finish up. I didn't go as short as I wanted. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Uh, I pray that your gospel would permeate the hearts of everyone here, that they would know you intimately because their spiritual lives are icebergs, because under the surface they're in prayer, under the surface they're talking to you and pursuing you and knowing you. Help us to be Help us to be in the garden waiting for Christ when he shows up to have a conversation with us first thing in the morning, and when we get in the tractor or our car to drive to work, when we deal with our children. I pray that you'd meet us in the secret place of our hearts, in the secret place of our minds, as the primary objective for our lives. Amen. I didn't go